you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. Uh, this will be my review of Thor The Dark World. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the podcast platforms, you can always catch me live at repeattheaterlive.com. Monday through Thursday, this channel goes live around 3 p.m. Eastern. Also, we have now placed everything under one hub. If you want to go to sntrnetwork.com, sntrnetwork.com is the hub for all of my content. SNTR Presents, Repeat Theater, The Rageous Roundtable, all the different shows, as well as the schedule for Repeat Theater and Watch Party Schedule should be there as well. So, my review of Thor The Dark World will contain spoilers, but it will not contain spoilers outside of this movie. I'm not going to dip into the MCU and start talking about Infinity War or Endgame or any of that. We may get into that on the VIP call-ins if there is one today, but my review is only going to contain spoilers about what happens in this movie, not outside of it. So, Thor The Dark World always gets a bit of a bad rap, and I don't know how deserved it is. It's probably one of the weaker movies in the MCU. Uh, Thor The Dark World and then... Iron Man 3, I think, are the two that typically get kind of chopped down and said, eh, they're not so great, they're not so hot. This was obvious, this is, I, I, I think we've even heard, this was the movie that almost drove Chris Hemsworth away from wanting to do Thor anymore. It just doesn't land all that well. It's kind of hit or miss. There are some bright spots, but it's not until Thor Ragnarok that I think he really lands as a character. And then the actor himself, I think, also has indicated that he, he thinks he wants to do more movies, and I think Ragnarok played a big part. No spoilers, but I think it played a big part. I actually like this movie more. I keep saying that, right? I'm like, yeah, I remember this movie not being as good, but I actually like this more than I expected to. I expected it to be a bit of a dud, but I thought there were some bright spots. So it starts out with some Asgardian history about the Aether. And I think this is smart. Similar to the first Thor movie, they're tapping into the great voice in the narration of Anthony Hopkins as Odin, and he's giving you some of that that backstory in the Aether getting released, and then they basically have to hide it. The Dark Elves fall, and his name is Malekith. Malekith basic, basically runs uh, away and like sacrifices his soldiers uh, to try to you know get one last hit on the Asgardians, and uh, nobody knows where it is. They hide the ether, and nobody kind of knows where it's going to go, and then we get the opening title for Thor, the Dark World. So, as being consistent with the brand of Thor and the first movie, I think they're actually faithful to the genre that they sort of carved out for Thor. It's serious. It's driven by mythology. You got you got Odin doing the opening narration. I do think it's consistent. I think one of the reasons this one's not as much of a favorite is because it's just purely in that world, sort of the outer space, Asgardian mythological world. I think it's harder for people to connect with that. And I also think the character of Thor is very underdeveloped in this movie. He's just sort of confused and angry, and they don't do much with him. Even though Jane Foster is a is a a huge you know aspect and part of the movie, it doesn't feel like a whole lot happens. Unfortunately, uh, it opens that after that Loki's in chains. Odin speaks to him, and this is one of the few times I actually like Loki getting put into his place because you do sort of feel bad for Loki, but also he's kind of a he's kind of a uh, a bad child. He's kind of an idiot, uh, and he kind of asks for it and. He talks about his birthright, and I think Odin rightfully puts him in his place that your birthright was to die. Your birthright was to die. I could have left you on that planet, and you would have died because there was nothing left, and you were abandoned. And um, 
I thought that was one of the better moments in the movie as far as Loki sort of getting a little disillusioned into being like this whiny brat who thinks he's owed something when he was given a wonderful life that he honestly didn't uh, had no right to as 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 a frost giant as not as not being an Asgardian. Uh, also, he makes it clear, and I think this is good to kind of get some. Uh, some setup for Thor as what he's doing. He's trying to bring order to the nine realms. He's trying to kind of undo what Loki had done. Uh, and then he will end up being king. And that's what Odin tells uh, tells Loki. So then we catch up with Thor. He's fighting in Vanaheim. And uh, I actually think this is not bad. I think some of this is, this is needed. Seeing Thor fighting in a non-Earth environment was fun uh, because obviously we saw him fight the frost giants in the first movie and that was kind of it and you get a taste for it here again and he fights he wins but then it's very much you can sense that he's not happy and Odin senses it Odin sort of gets to speak for the audience and says you know that human love is fleeting and you need to enjoy what's in front of you he's making it very clear that he thinks that Thor should be taking an interest uh, in in the the woman that's around all the time, I always forget her name. Uh, they don't say it all that often. Uh, and it's what Siv or something like that. Anyway, she she makes it very clear that she likes him too. Which I, obviously, you know, you you kind of ship that. You're like all oh, these two warriors. They're both beautiful people. They'd make such a great couple. But obviously, it's Sif. That's it. The lady. Uh, the lady Sif. There it is. Um, it's obvious that that would be too perfect. That would be too cookie cutter, you know. And it, it, and obviously, he's still in love with Jane, and that's a that's a pivotal part of this movie. Jane's actually on a date when we catch up with her, but she's not really into it. She's kind of hiding behind the menu, and then Darcy shows up. And as hard as they try <laughs> to make Cat Dennings not attractive, even in this movie, I mean, she's beautiful. They try to make her look kind of like dorky and kind of derpy, but. <laughs> It's impossible. My wife even mentioned, she's like, man, she's just got such a pretty face. I was like, yeah, they try to hide it, uh, but they don't do a very, they don't do a very good job. They probably should have just let her be cute and pretty, but whatever. They kind of make her look all like, like she's always wearing a hat and she's got her glasses and she acts kind of silly the whole time. But I think she's a great aspect of this movie with respect to comedic value. There's not a lot of room for comedy in some of the uh, some of the setups and some of the severity and the seriousness. Loki, you know, oh Thor, he's so serious. But then you get to have Darcy kind of bring in some of the humor, and I think that that's one of the that's one of the shining spots of the movie is actually her. She's a supporting role, but I think she brings some pretty good humor uh, to the movie. They visit this warehouse and the gravity's all acting up. There's portals, uh, and they've not seen these readings since New Mexico. So it's clear something weird's going on. Jane's obviously extremely interested because she thinks maybe Thor's going to show up. It's been two years, and I haven't seen you know my uh, my big Greek god. Lo- I'm sorry, Norse Norse god love interest. And uh, <laughs> where's he been? Well, th- th- that's actually not what's going on. It's the convergence. It's these alignments that are going on. And uh, Jane gets actually pulled through a portal, and then she ends up sort of getting infected and touched by the ether. This wakes up Malekith so that you you sort of get this, the grand scope of something pretty serious has happened here. Jane's not just sort of like got a superpower now. She's actually infected with something that has woken up uh, the, the bad guy, the villain. And I think this might be one of the reasons folks don't connect with this movie as much. 
We don't care about Malekith. We don't have any connection to him. We don't care about his motivation. This actually is really similar to another villain in another movie who just kind of comes out of nowhere and is bad. Uh, I'll talk about that character later. Being similar, I I feel there's a similar um, lack of punch here for Malekith. I just like, eh, whatever. And, And it's unfortunate because he's great. He's, he's well acted. I think that the way they set up the, the, the Dark Elves, the way they made them look was awesome. And yet, I don't give a crap about him. He's just sort of the bad guy, like the cliche villain gets sort of woken up. So, Thor visits Heimdall, and he can't see Jane. So this is obviously concerning. Where in the world is Jane? He suddenly can't see her. He's talking about the Convergence. We're getting little bits and pieces about, like, what's actually going on with the Convergence. And Heimdall thinks it's beautiful, but then he realizes he can't see Jane. She ends up coming back, and then Thor shows up. So Thor hasn't seen her uh, until this moment. And so you can kind of see... They don't really explain this, like why all of a sudden Thor thinks it's okay to visit her. It's like, okay, you've brought peace to the Nine Realms. I mean, Odin's telling him to celebrate, but okay, why wouldn't your first order of business to go visit Jane? And he only goes and visits because she apparently disappeared. So he shows up, no problem. They don't really give an explanation to that. I mean, I guess you're just supposed to assume he was waiting for the right moment or something, but suddenly it's okay for him to show up to Earth and he's there and she slaps him to make sure he's real and then she slaps him again to be like where were you I waited and so he explains what's been going on realizing that she's infected with something pretty explosive she gets touched by a police officer and then kaboom you know this big huge explosion I don't know if they meant to do this uh, but they said she's dangerous and Thor's like I'm dangerous too and he kind of brushes off this you know this cop and I don't know if this was intentional or not but this is a pretty good parallel difference between the first time Thor came to Earth and the second time the first time Thor came to Earth he got tased he got beat up he got locked up and this time he shows up and he's like homie you don't even want to cross me and then he bounces so I thought that was kind of a nice like he's in a different category now the second time he comes to Earth it was subtle you know because the cop was kind of telling him to stop and he didn't listen but I don't know how intentional that was I just that was something I kind of picked up on at least uh Odin wants her gone Odin's like get her out of here he's like she's basically a goat and then she's like well who are you and he's like I'm Odin king of Asgard and she's like oh (laughs) she realizes who she's talking to well Odin's ordering her to be escorted out they touch her big huge explosion okay we got a serious problem on our hands and uh Odin gives the backstory of Aether this is I think another one of the shining points of the movie is there's they let Anthony Hopkins drive some of the backstory and drive some of that lore in a way that is actually pretty interesting especially if you watch the later movies the Aether comes back into play but that's all I'll say about that he also gives the backstory to Malekith and the Dark Elves um and then we catch up with Malekith and he like Malekith does something to his guard which is played by the guy who played Mr. Echo from Lost which I always appreciate anytime he shows up but he doesn't get a lot of screen time because he turns into a crazy monster he allows himself to be captured so he ends up in the Asgard prison Uh, this is actually a pretty believable uh, plot line that they didn't need to really explain in detail he kind of does this thing to him and then he's just all of a sudden in the Asgard prison. Well, I mean, they were constantly going to all these realms, fighting and capturing people and bringing them back, so it didn't seem abnormal for this to be a turn of events that would create an opportunity for Malekith to get somebody on the inside. He becomes like a flaming monster, and he breaks out, and I like that he breaks out everybody but Loki, okay? 
And this is one of those moments where even a character in the movie feels the same way that you do as the viewer. You're not really sure about Loki still. You're like, I don't know. He's kind of doing these little fantasy scenes with his mom, not his mom, his stepmom, where he's mean to her and she's nice to him. And I don't know what that's all about. Like he's this conflicted god of mischief. Uh, and even this monster's like, yeah, I'm not going to let you out. I'm not really sure what you're all about and I think you experienced that as a viewer as well and that was probably intentional and one of my favorite actually parts of the movie is the queen she steals a sword and she ends up protecting Jane Uh, queen's pretty baller in this movie a lot of people might pick up on the fact on how good of a fighter she is I'll talk about that in just a second Heimdall actually takes down one of the cloak ships pretty dope pretty studly but then there's a bunch of them so his little takedown becomes quickly less impressive Uh, a ship gets through uh, and Malekith gets in so they're trying to do this force field thing and then the monster like hits it and then the ship gets through some of these aspects of the of the of the plot i think maybe are why people don't like this movie it moves at a really quick pace and you don't get a lot of explanations of why the monster is unbelievably strong why the monster can destroy this thing and survive the insane explosion is just like fine and it shows up later some of this is just a little too i don't know it just feels a little too cliche uh, it just feels like, okay, th- this is uh, this is not a big deal. They're just these big baddies that are going to get beat. There's just not a lot of depth there. This might be one of the reasons people don't lo- really like this movie all that much. One of the impressive things about the Queen is she actually beats Malekith. She bests him in combat. The only reason that she doesn't best him in combat is because the monster shows up. All right? So she is an she's a beast and I think that gets I think people probably overlook the fact that she beats this homie in combat. Like this guy is is a seasoned warrior and she takes him to task, completely outdoes him. Uh, and then the monster shows up and grabs her. Now she's tricking Malekith. She's, you know, she's she's got similar magic. She's a witch. She can do similar things that Loki can do. Uh, obviously I'm assuming she taught him all that stuff. She's like, I'm not going to tell you where she is. He's like, I believe you. And they kill her. It's a pretty bad ending, uh, unfortunately for her. Might be another reason people didn't like the movie all that much. It's like she has an awesome moment. They're like, yeah, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? But she's dead. Um, <laughs> again, the movie moves at a breakneck pace, which might be one of the reasons people aren't a huge fan of it. Uh, Thor does get a shot at on Malekith. Kind of burns half of his face. That's pretty dope, but that's about it. They get away. And this is one of the first times you'll see this happen um, other times in Thor's story arc. So I'm only going to talk about this time, though, that all of Thor's power is not enough to stop the thing uh, that he wants to stop. He throws his hammer at the ship and it gets away and his hammer just kind of goes out and seems small and it seems weak in comparison. And he wasn't there fast enough. He wasn't strong enough. And I, I think... This is one piece in the puzzle of Thor's arc that I love and appreciate knowing his full character arc in the MCU and how they set it up. This is one of those times. This is actually, I think, a really important time in the life of Thor that he was too weak and not slow and not strong enough to to fix this or, or reverse the outcome here. Uh, Thor basically argues with Odin. 
And this is another time where I can't really tell what in the frick's going on, why all of a sudden Odin wants to fight to the bitter end. I mean, I guess we're supposed to assume it's a vengeance thing since the queen has been killed, but they don't really spell that out for you. I guess you're supposed to deduce that on your own, that suddenly Odin isn't slow to war, he's quick to war, which is a complete 180 from his character development in the first movie. Um, and Thor is the sensible one, <laughs> which again, I, I, this may be one of the reasons that the movie doesn't land for lots of folks is because it does seem a little bit, everybody's kind of a caricature, you know, Odin just wants to go to war and you know, the bad guy is just sort of the bad guy. There's not a lot of depth here, uh, which is, I think unfortunate because there, there are cool things that happen throughout it. Thor asks Heimdall for help, and they basically go to Loki. Thor goes to Loki, they need a way out of Asgard, and he promises Loki vengeance, and so they agree to basically committing treason and breaking Loki out. This leads to some of the funnier moments, like once you kind of get Loki in proximity to Thor, I think this is when they start to realize maybe they watch this movie, and they got a glimpse of what they could do with Thor as a character. Uh, The Chris Evans cameo is absolutely fantastic, because Loki turns into Captain America and it's 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 absolutely brilliant because that's Christopher Evans acting as Loki as Captain America and I think he does an excellent job it's it's actually very funny and this leads to some of the more I think better moments for Thor's character to not be so Loki no cliche uh, and it's it's honestly I think Loki that activates that uh, in him their banter on the escape ship is actually one of the instances where you get a glimpse of this, where Thor is wrecking into stuff, and Loki's making fun of his driving, and they're kind of having this back and forth, uh, and then, you know, Jane falls down. I think that's one of the better sequences in the movie, and then he throws Loki out, and they find out what they're actually doing. They have an escape ship down in the water. Uh, Darcy picks up Dr. Eric Selvig, and he says it's happening sooner than I expected, so we're getting a glimpse into the severity of the issue with Convergence, and so we're kind of pivoting back and forth between these worlds. Again, I think that might be one of the reasons people struggle to enjoy this one is because it moves so fast. You're constantly ping-ponging between the two worlds. It's hard to get a grasp on what exactly is going on. I mean, it's not hard, but it's hard to it's not hard to follow, but it kind of is in a sense. Uh, Thor actually trusts Loki in front of Malekith. And then he stabs Thor and he cuts off Thor's hand. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? Because even Jane doesn't seem to know what's going on unless she's just like a really good uh, actor. Malekith pulls the ether from Jane and it's a trick. Thor is totally fine. It's an illusion through Loki and he tries to destroy the ether, but it doesn't really work. Uh, Again, another piece of Thor's development as a character is that brute strength and power, he's like, I will destroy the ether. And it's like, you can hear him saying that in an earlier scene. You're like, really, bro? Really? They had this thing they couldn't destroy. They had to hide it. And you're just going to show up and destroy it? Is it that simple? It doesn't seem like it's going to be that simple. And it's not that simple. This is a consistent theme for Thor as his character develops, is that his brute strength and power and anger is not enough to defeat these things and he learns that right here the ether's in like crystal form it ends up going into Malekith anyway and I'm not sure what we're supposed to think of some of these developments with Loki but Loki actually ends up saving Jane from one of the dark energy grenades and Loki's 
gonna be dead in mere seconds and Thor ends up saving Loki Um, I don't think it's an illusion I'm fairly certain it was really Loki that did this which is an interesting development in his character Uh, again maybe just to continue to win Thor's trust but he almost dies I mean he he really put his life on the line to save Jane which that's one of the more interesting aspects I think of the movie Uh, Thor is losing against the monster Uh, this is one of those times where again I find the villains in this to be boring it's just a monster that is stronger than Mew Mew it's stronger than the hammer it's stronger than Thor why why is this thing able just to smack his hammer away like it's a fly we get zero explanation it's just a strong dumb non-speaking monster um and they literally call him a monster at one point like in 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 the scene coming up loki says see you in hell monster like that's about as cliche as it gets that they literally just call it monster (laughs) i i don't know what in the world we're supposed to think of this thing but it leads to loki uh sacrificing himself he stabs a thing and then he gets stabbed but then it gives him an opportunity to distract the monster with one of these dark energy gra- you know gr- gravity grenade things that, like sucks it into some sort of like death portal uh and then that's it and then loki's dead well he's not dead obviously if you watch the whole movie which you know he's alive at the end the ending's actually kind of a head turner it's like wait what the frick um <laughs> jane explains malika's plan and then they realize that they're in like a cave that's a portal back to earth there's the cans there's the keys there's thor's like why are there shoes everywhere <laughs> um and it's actually pretty funny and you're seeing the, the the this is where the worlds are aligning and this convergence is creating crossover points so they can basically just like walk back to earth through a little portal which is really interesting um it it again it i think the pacing and the speed here is one of the reasons people are like huh what they're all of a sudden just back on earth it feels really forced so they get back to earth and then loki's alive and he goes back to asgard as a guard and he tells odin that loki's dead and you're kind of like okay i guess maybe he was hoping odin would mourn him or something we don't really know they never really show us Malekith shows up to Earth. He fights Thor while Jane, Darcy, and Eric set up the equipment. Thor and Malekith keep jumping worlds. And then Thor has to take the subway, which again, I I don't know. I don't care about Malekith and the fact that like Thor's having a hard time beating him just doesn't really land for me. I, I don't think it's it, there's nothing really cool that happens in the fight. They're just sort of beating the crap out of each other. Um... And then Thor beats Malekith, and it's kind of corny, obvious, uh, honestly. He beats him by, like, throwing scientific equipment at him, and I, and then it, like, sucks him in, and he disappears. Um, again, there are bright spots in this movie, but we don't really get to see Thor do anything cool. He doesn't really develop that much as a character. He just kind of shows up and is, Oh, I'm Thor, and he defeats the bad guy by kind of brute force and also scientific help from Jane and Dr. Selving and Darcy. Uh, I don't particularly think it's that very good of an ending, but then it leads to some slightly better, slightly curious things. So Thor refuses the throne. He's like, I don't want to be the king of Asgard. Um, And I don't know how much this plays a part into his character development later on because he's going to suffer... You know, there's going to be some things that he loses and some some things that happen to him that I'm not going to get in uh, into. But he refuses the throne. He says, "I'd rather be a good man than a great king." 
And so Odin lets him know that he's proud. He's proud of his decision. He's proud as his father. But it's not even Odin. Again, I don't know what the choice... I don't know why they did this. They have like a pretty touching moment and what feels like a very genuine piece of dialogue. And it's Loki? Huh? Why even do that? Like, they could have let us... They already let us know Loki was still alive. But for some reason... Loki decides to be the one to talk to Thor about becoming king? I don't get it at all. I don't understand why they did that. Um, It makes zero sense. And then that's just the end of it. You're like, I guess they just wanted to punch you in the gut at the end. Like, oh my gosh, Loki's alive. Like, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> this this movie kind of falls apart at the end for me. It just kind of falls flat on its face. It's like none of this really makes any sense or even seems to matter. But we get a good post credits. All right, we get a good post credit scene. The collector. We get our first introduction into the collector, and they give him the ether and say it's not wise to keep two infinity stones in Asgard. So you're like, wait a minute, the ether is an infinity stone, but it's not. It's like an ether, but they just call it an infinity stone, and they say they have another infinity stone in Asgard, which is the Tesseract. They they confirm that. And then the Collector says, one down, five to go. And you're like, hey, wait a minute, sir. And that's the end of that. So at least, at least we get that piece of the story meta. uh, uh, The the larger story arc is at least in the post-credits. And then... We get a terrible post-post-credit scene that I just may- makes me want to gag. They do a post-post-credit scene where Thor lands on her fire escape, I guess, or her balcony, and they kiss. Who cares? And then there's a big monster still on Earth. The big, huge monster thing that comes and eats the Dark Elves because of these portals that open, it's just still on Earth, just roaming around. Like, uh, is anybody... Thor, are you going to kill that thing? Because if not, it's going to, like, you know, it'll tear apart, I guess, Lower Manhattan or something. Anyway, (laughs) some good things happen in this movie, but it ends, it's like, uh... And then the post credits is like, oh, that's not bad. And then they decide to, to take the wind out of any progress that the the collector post credit scene gets with a terrible post credit scene like i guess we really needed to see them kiss um and then the the big monster ha 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 it's still on earth um i'm i'm not surprised if if in fact it is true that after this movie chris hemsworth was like i'm not really interested in being this character anymore he's not going anywhere that's not surprising to me. It's also not surprising to me that his tone changed after Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame. Because those movies bring Papa home. Like, they really bring Thor home. I don't think this movie does really anything for the franchise at all other than perpetuate the fact that Loki lies and now Thor thinks he's dead. And that's basically the only real. And then we learn about the Infinity Stones and the fact that, like, the Aether is basically an Infinity Stone. That's kind of it. Uh, not really anything happens here to move the story forward, unfortunately. Mainly, it doesn't move the needle on Thor at all, which I find to be one of the, the more disappointing aspects of it because I actually really, really love Thor. So, um,. And I didn't like him until later in the franchise, and this might be one of the reasons why this movie could be, uh, you know, playing a role there. We're going to transition to probably just VIP call-ins. We don't really do the Q&A all that much on this show anymore, but 
we'll we'll transition to VIP con. I think we got at least one person, maybe two, that want to do call-ins. If you're listening to this as an audio podcast, you can catch me live as a video version on YouTube, repeattheaterlive.com. If you want to catch all my content, head to sntrnetwork.com for everything in one location. As always, wherever you're listening or watching to this, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be a VIP little roundtable session after my review of Thor The Dark World. If you ever want to catch these live Monday through Thursday around 3 p.m. Eastern, repeattheaterlive.com will get you there. If you want a central hub for all my content, go to sntrnetwork.com sntrnetwork.com has everything the schedule so you know when we're covering what movies and when we're eventually going to have a watch party schedule there as well we do that through the discord there's a link here uh, on the YouTube as well as on sntrnetwork.com so I always like to get people's opinions of the movie kind of out of the gate and knowing this is one of the more least liked of the franchise uh, it's down there pretty far I think in general uh, close to the Iron Man 3 dislike or the maybe not dislike maybe more just disappointment I'm going to actually start with Gritter um, first time calling on repeat theater but it's called it on my other shows uh, what do you what do you think of Thor The Dark World where does it land for you as a, as a movie and in the MCU okay as a movie I do like it as a movie in the MCU it is like far down a totem pole I must say Iron Man 3 to me has to be the utmost, the utmost worst MCU movie to me, so I will put it above Iron Man 3 only because they lied about the Mandalorian or the Mandarin. I'm like, I'll never get over that. But anyway, um, <laughs> when it comes to um, Thor Dark World, there are two things this movie does so perfectly that just these two things alone makes it a great movie for me. The first thing is Renee Russo's performance in this movie, especially her fight scene. And then there's one little thing they do that I think people may have overlooked. Mm-hmm. And that is it taking a very, there's this one part, I think when they're attacking Asgard and mm-hmm. Thor is alert to it and he tries to call, I think it's called Monir, his hammer. He mm-hmm. sticks his hand out and it takes a, I think this is a movie where it takes a very long time for his hammer to come to him. It takes a ridiculously long, he's looking like, where the heck is my hammer? And I always thought that was odd. I always felt like there was an explanation to that. And, you know, with this being Colin, I can say, you know, it is explained in Endgame. I think his mother, you know, I'm not, nothing takes away from her being a, 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 a really good fighter. But I really do think her interactions with him in Endgame, when she's standing across him, I think Malekith is his name. She's like, okay, this is the moment my son was probably trying to warn me of. I know, I'm not going to, I mean, I was, she was never going to back down anyway. Mm-hmm. But she knows if this is where I must die... I'm going to give him my all and I'm going to make this dude rule the day he even, you know, tried to kill him, which he did. And then, you know, fate intervened and, you know, the monster came and, and caused to death anyway. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I always thought it was weird that the hammer took so long to come to him. And I always saw her fight against Malekith as if she kind of knew this was her time to go. Like, but then I did not perceive it as, oh, it's because of her running into Thor in Endgame. I perceived it as... You know, with her being a, such a boss, because she's a boss in this movie to me. She's like, there's no way I'm going to back down. I'm not going to run. But I know one of us is going to have to die. And she, to me, she bested him. You know, yeah. she won the fight outright. But, uh, you know, like you said, fate intervened and she died. But she put, But then looking back after seeing Endgame, she knew something was going to happen that was going to cause her death. Because she, you know, that interaction she had with Thor. But she died knowing 
you know, I think her interaction with Endgame told her my son finally became the man me and his father knew he was supposed to become. Because she looked at him, she's like, you're changed, you're different. Mm-hmm. And she said that, like, in a way where you you are the one that, this is, this Thor is the Thor me and your father saw you becoming. And she probably knows, okay, my death is going to have to probably be somewhat of a catalyst to make him become this man that he is now. Um, and, you know, yeah, so... You know, aside from all the other stuff, I do like Thor and Jane's interactions. I did have a small part of me that kind of was like, uh, Lady Stiff. I kind of feel like the, the, like the, at that time I thought that the, um, the franchise was kind of say he may actually end up with Lady Stiff. Mm-hmm. We'll give y'all, you know, like maybe that impossible romance that is a romance, but at the end of the day, he may end up with Lady Stiff at the end of the whole franchise, which, um, I don't think it's going to happen now because the actress, I think she's on that TV series on NBC. Well, she does a good job on, on that. Um, she's maybe not available or the character. Not a good just going a different direction. But yeah, those, yeah, those are all the thoughts I have on um, on uh, Thor The Dark World, man. Like when it comes to movies, dude, I could, I could rattle like almost all mm-hmm. day. And, and I haven't seen Thor uh, Dark World in like, did it come out in 2007? I haven't seen it since the year it came out. I saw it like multiple times within that year. but It came dude, out I, in I, 2013. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I see movies. I'm a, I'm a huge movie buff. I'm just letting you know. I, I may, you may not catch me calling it in on repeat there that often, you know, because I'm, you know, I may be busy. I mean, I, it's a little bit easier because, um, you know, during uh, S and R presents, you know, for for Destiny takes place mm-hmm. close around my lunchtime, so it's a little easier for me to swing it. But um, yeah, whenever I got time, especially if it's a movie, I don't care if it's a decade since I've seen a movie, I'm gonna know a lot about it, man, because I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a yeah. hardcore movie dude. Yeah, the girl who plays Lady Sif, it looks like she's in that show Blind Spot. Is that the one where she has like the yeah, she's got the mysterious tattoos and it looks like um they they just did a season in May. So I'm not sure if that show's continuing, but five seasons of that show with her. Oh, um, they that was supposed to be the last season. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. The season they just had they they advertised hardcore this is the final season. So She's probably available now, but I don't know what they're doing with Jane being becoming Thor now, and you know I don't even know about that story. It seems to be a, I think I think a lot I think a lot of people like it from the comic books. I hear it's a comic book storyline, but we'll see where we go then. And, and I'm really yeah. excited in anything Natalie Portman does. Like I've been a fan of her since Leon the Professional, and actually me I went over to my sister's house last night, and Leon the Professional was uh, was on. Mm-hmm. Um, they put it on, you know, because her her fiance had never seen it before, and but she loved the movie, and um, he 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 thought it was incredible, and um, you know, so you know, little little tip, a little little tangent here. I kind of hope they would one day do a Matilda the the professional like a secret. I don't think we're ever gonna get that, <laughs> but yeah. um, because she's at the age where she could do that, you know. But you know, I'm I'm happy to see what she does. But I think it's the Mighty Jane Thor or something like that. Um, yeah. It'd be Thor Love and Thunder is when she yeah. is apparently supposed to become Thor, uh, which I am really looking forward to because I like her too. But I, you pointed out something. It actually makes me a little more angry with the movie is Frigga, the queen. She beats Malekith and then this stupid, dumb, all-powerful monster kind of comes in and just gets rid of her. Like that makes me kind of more angry about their use of the monster. Yeah. Um, yeah. it just seems kind of cliche. I want to, I want to go to Wolverine though. Cause I think I, I do. I think Gritter pointed out some things that 
and I, I made sure to point that out, like, Frigga beats Malekith in combat. Like, she's dope. She's baller. And it does come in heavy in Endgame. I love her interaction with Thor. It's, it's honestly one of my favorite parts of the entire MCU, how he gets emotional and she's just a great mom. But it's, it's a shame it's kind of attached to this movie because I find that element of the movie so disappointing. What are your thoughts, uh, maybe on what we're saying, but also as the movie as a whole, Wolvie? Well, oh, uh, oh, there you go. Hello? Yeah, oh, you're yeah, good. You're good. Perfect. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, my mom had just watched. <laughs> it's like I'm uh, young all over again, staying at her place and visiting her for her birthday. And I have to like interact with her at the same time and still talk to people on the computer. Um, I can see, first of all, first, first of all, very first of all, congratulations on SNTR Network. Uh, big props to Creature. The amazing thing that he did, that, that was stellar. And I definitely got to agree with his vision. I think you're going to be able to work wonders with that. So with that out of the way, um, let's uh, dive into Thor and why people kind of felt maybe I might be alone on this in terms of it feeling kind of slow. I feel like where we were coming off of with Avengers and like you pointed out in your talk where Iron Man 3 kind of falls into this uh, pitfall, so to speak, is because we were so action packed with Avengers. It's just it kind of became a standard. So mm-hmm. when everything kind of slowed down a little bit or we were not getting new storytelling, uh, the story kind of either drifted off into another narrative to either elaborate on that specific universe within the big realm. Yeah. But um, I guess the, uh, Gritter pointed out great things. Uh, I, I share his uh, passion for enjoying um, what Rene Russo does. Uh, I've, I've always been a Lethal Weapon fan and I, I, I love her in those series. Um, she she played a great uh, Frigga, Freya, um, in this film. Uh, it was obviously sad to see uh, her go. Um, both her, uh, both uh, Thor and Loki's perception of her death were awesome in the film. So mm-hmm. those were two great things I could take away. I definitely resonated with how Loki took it. Um, uh, I don't know, it's just definitely a mama's boy when it comes down to it but it's something i hold uh, more pain if i god forbid ever had to hear something like that it would just be that nonchalant if i ever had to but um i always like to uh take these talks and try to lead into either foreshadowing of what we what culminated into the mcu or either foreshadowing into later movies within that realm and uh, thor the dark world really was no uh um, slump to that either um, especially when it was trying to foreshadow what was going to happen in the into the future uh, Thor movie Ragnarok more specifically um, when we were introduced in briefly in the beginning of Ragnarok we saw a different side to Thor or excuse me of Odin through Hela that he was basically this monarch who reigned with an iron fist or the, mm-hmm. the blood of the people that he had was countless it didn't matter the only thing that mattered was the win and we got a taste of that when he was speaking to to uh thor uh after frigga's death where uh he said um how many men will fall on theirs meaning how many of the swords of asgardians will die in that battle against malekith and uh odin said as many as they are needed we we will fight to the last asgardian breath to the last drop of asgardian blood so we got a taste of that ruthlessness and it almost kind of portrayed that this ruthlessness was quelled by his wife frigga mm-hmm. and with her gone we basically got an, uh, a pre predecessor of what was to come in ragnarok this other side of odin that wasn't 
kind of uh, explained before. Yeah, I didn't even consider the fact that he is war-driven, but maybe Friga's the reason that he wasn't. To me, the the Odin in the first Thor movie was just so annoyed with Thor's quickness to battle and desire for revenge and vengeance. But maybe we're supposed to see where that comes from, right? Like the way Thor's acting in the first movie, that actually comes from Odin. That's a part of Odin that Odin has kind of either figured out how to keep in check or, you know, maybe keep a lid on it. But that part of Odin comes out in this movie I guess, and again, we're supposed to probably just presume it's because of the death of Frigga that he's like, all right, you killed, you killed my lady. You're done. I don't care what it takes. Um, I think the problem was the pacing was so breakneck. You don't really pick up on the gravity or the depth of it. This stupid kind of cliche bad guy and monster come in and Frigga has a great fight, but then Frigga dies anyway. And then you're like, well, I guess we're supposed to feel the gravity of this, and that's why Odin's so mad. But then Thor's being more more intelligent than Odin. I think pacing might be part of the problem. Maybe it just moves so fast. There's no there's no real build up to it. It's one. It, I said I was going to mention another character. Uh, Malekith really reminds me of Hela. I'm like, okay, you could do great things with this character and make it so much more depth, so much more interesting, but they just show up, they're bad, and they kill everybody. And you're like, okay. Like, they don't, they feel like a caricature of a villain, if that makes sense. And it does, because that's pretty much been the the portrayal of the Nine Realms and Thor's background story. Um, another thing I was going to uh, uh, add, add in addition to foreshadowing and even into um, Ragnarok, when... Uh, they find uh, Dr. Eric Selvig and he's uh, pantsless at the chalkboard. Uh, if if you pause that, you can see on in the middle when he's uh, has his hand by the nine realms. You can see one one realm in particular, and I hope I'm not butchering how to say this, but it's so specific to begin with. Musfelheim. Musfelheim is the realm of Surtur. And as we know, Surtur is the one who brings Ragnarok, and also is the one who we see in the beginning that uh, Thor is having his uh, really funny uh, conversation with, which was uh, an awesome. I really cannot wait till we get into Ragnarok because of the the changes that they made from this film and then the first film, and then what we culminated in it. Basically, we have this new image of Thor. But um, along with that chalkboard scene, there's another thing that uh, I. Um, I know a person like JB especially would appreciate this because it, it almost is like with these earlier on movies before they got rights, it's almost as like they thought that there was some potential of, of a bigger universe at the end. And when I say bigger, I'm talking every every uh, Marvel IP that we can think of because at the top of this, this uh, chalkboard presentation of the Nine Realms, you have him, he wrote and underlined 616 universe. And that obviously is the reference, which is Marvel refers to our universe. And that's the universe that we're living in. It's the most spoken about universe within the storyline. And that's where we could possibly hope it's only a matter of time before the franchise will dip its toes into that web of an expanded hmm. universe. And and, and we, I, I, I got to say, we, we're kind of getting close when we have people like Jamie Foxx Re- renewing a uh, a character as uh, Electro, and you know talks of either um, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield returning in their respective uh, sodas, 
And I, I, I definitely think this is a trend, you know, regarding uh, trying to tie in universe because DC, and I don't mean to go on a tangent, but, you know, DC's trying to do the same thing because they re-brought back in Michael Keaton to uh, play an older version of his himself as the old Batman in the new Flash movie. So mm. I think it's a trend. I think when uh, other um, movie-making subsidies are able to get rights to certain things, finally, that we're able to have real movie magic when it comes to bringing the comic book to the silver screen. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not the only person that noticed this either. I just Googled this because while you were talking about connections and other things and the the... the the realms on the chalkboard when he defeats when he's in uh is it vanaheim when in vanaheim when he defeats that rock monster it if uh, the first thing i thought of was korg from ragnarok Mm -hmm. like oh wait is that basically what korg is and people have already done like side-by-side comparisons of their armor and their appearance and their armor does look a little bit similar uh but i don't know if there's anything there i mean in the in the norse mythology in mythology in general there's always been like golems and rock monsters uh you know monsters made from from stone uh but i thought that was kind of cool that he like demolishes a rock monster and then ends up being friends with one later uh after uh, after ragnarok uh because korg i think is one of the he's one of the the, sh- the the real bright spots in Ragnarok, uh, along with obviously Jeff Goldblum, but I don't know if anybody else thought of that when they were watching this. Like maybe that's you know somewhat related to Korg in some way. Their characters uh, that were all introduced, pretty much all of them in that movie. It, it was it was a much needed uh, revitalization of of where maybe Hemsworth wanted to take it, and then along with everyone's interest in Thor as a character now because Ragnarok really set the stage for uh, Infinity War and then for Endgame. People just, they really enjoyed Thor's uh, interaction with the rest of uh, the Avengers and then with the Guardians, uh, him getting the eyeball from uh, Rocket, uh, then him you know getting obese and feeling basically a human's uh, version of, of depression. It was, you know, it's it, his his arc from beginning to end, it's definitely been a 180, but it's been a 180 in such a, a great storytelling way. Yeah, I tried to touch on that in the review that it's such a consistent mark of his character's uh, they sober him so much like he gets to chop off Thanos's head and it just doesn't matter and he's not there or strong enough to defeat Malekith in time like he's his he's not strong enough his brute force his strength even his even the lightning from the hammer it's not enough to destroy the ether and yet he thought that's all it would take uh and that's a very very consistent theme with his character which I like that because that gets to the core issue of how dumb and immature he is in the very first movie is I'll just go and throw my hammer at it like that's all I need right well no and he clearly gets communicated that in this movie and in virtually every movie that follows and it leads to him losing everything and I think that's why I love the scene with his mom because she she gives wisdom to someone that needs it like he's losing his way like he doesn't his answer to life like his view of the world and of existence is it doesn't it's not working uh and he never ever really gets anything other than confirmation that his pure raw strength and power isn't enough like there's there are forces that are darker and stronger 
um, and he needs either help or he needs to truly tap into his to his true strength. Which even once he does that, it still isn't enough uh, to stop Thanos from doing what he did. Um, I think that really, really continues to I, that deepened my appreciation of his character. But then I get to watch these movies and see those elements of he's just not strong enough he's not he can't do it all on his own uh and i love that they do that to him can so consistently um throughout his character arc and it stops him from be uh from becoming like a mary a male mary sue or i think they'll call it a john stew um so like with helena it's like you know there was no beating helena you had to destroy uh asgard had to be destroyed for helena to be defeated like i I would still. I was thinking about this as you know you were doing your reveal. I was like, I, I was thinking, imagining if someone could put like Thanos and all the Almighty, you know, um, Infinity Gauntlet with all all five or six stones on Asgard in a one rule. To the fight was that you cannot destroy Asgard. Now have at it with Helena. I think based on the rules of the Marvel Universe, I think Helena. I mean, I know people will, will in chat or you know hardcore Marvel enthusiasts will probably say no, Thanos will still win, but. I think Helena is supposed to still win in that, that, you know, that aspect. So it's like they have good job. They do good jobs putting Thor in these situations where you cannot just do raw brute strength, almost like how good movies or good stories of Superman are, you mm-hmm. know, even though he's in a different universe, you can't just let the raw power of these godlike characters be the thing that solves it. Otherwise, it's too simple and it's boring, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, add spice to it. Exactly. I wanted to ask uh, Gritter because Gritter mentioned something in his introduction uh, that he was uh, either confused or just unsure why Thor's hammer was taking so long to reach him. No, I know now, but when I first saw the movie, that I was like, that's odd. Because even Thor had a confused look on his face after a while. It's like, what? But I know now because it's, it's explained in Endgame, the hammer was taken away and it hadn't been brought back yet. When I And I was hoping well, we would get... Go ahead. No, 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 no. Sorry, I, I didn't mean. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was. I wasn't sure. Um, it, the, the only thing I just wanted to say is the only reason it was taking so long in that time frame is because his hammer was passing through every realm because of the convergence. He was at one uh, place and then another. And I think, to your credit, though, because I actually personally never thought about it until you just mentioned it right now, why it took his hammer so long in that one scene, because it probably did have to pass through another realm because of where exactly or what was going on in the time frame of that movie, of it being in Dark World and the fact that the convergence was going on so when he first reached out to it when he was a little heftier in in endgame it could have been in a different realm it might not even have been in asgard at that point so i think that's that was very astute to even point that out oh yeah appreciate hmm. it man yeah i i don't even know i don't know if that was even intentional like i don't know if that far back they would have known you know it could have been pure happenstance that they just managed to set up a scene I- I do think with a hammer, Kevin Feige may have said to himself at some point, I want this to be kind of like, I don't know if MacGuffin is the right term, like a kind of MacGuffin thing where I'm going to explain this in a couple of movies later and people are like, ah, oh, because that, that was too odd to me. Even, you know, you consider the convergence, that 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 definitely makes logical sense. But I was like, well, this is a, when Thor looked kind of confused, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Did he, you know, so, um, yeah. but yeah, it'd be funny if they do another I don't think they would do it, but some people have hoping they would do a thing with Chris Evans where it shows 
Captain America taking everything back to where it was and maybe he could drop it off and all of a sudden the hammer comes swinging out of his hand because it's going to Thor and he's calling and it finally arrives like, oh, because there you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's much else to say about this one because we, we always end up in getting into the other movies and the other timelines. But, I, you know, overall, I think this movie has its bright spots. For me, it falls apart at the end mostly because of the fight with Malekith as well as the post-post credit scene with, like, the kiss and the monster still being on Earth. I, I don't know. I didn't like that. It's... Up to now, it's like there are ramifications to their actions and serious things happen. And in this one, it's kind of like, haha, the monster's still running around. And, you know, they had to have a kiss. By and large, like I said, I thought the there were brief scene of the collector. The brief scene of the collector, I, I'll, I'll give it credit with that because that we, yes. we learned who uh, the collector was and what he was doing and, and, and essentially what he was seeking. If, you know, people couldn't put it together at that point, what an infinity stone was and the fact that there were six of them. So we, we were we were building the overall narrative of of Thanos and what he was after and and exactly what is precious and powerful in the universe. Okay, I have, I have two more things. Um, one was um, do y'all do either one of you think? Because I think uh, aside from uh, Taika Waititi being a director and a creative mind behind um, Ragnarok, do you think had they put another MCU character that's like a standalone character, like I don't know? A Black Widow or Captain America or Iron Man or someone in Dark World with Thor to kind of bounce off of like they did with Hulk and him and Ragnarok. Do you think that could have helped, you know, made the movie a little bit better um, in, you mm-hmm. know, in that respects? I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll answer first. I didn't think Hulk did as much for Ragnarok as Korg and Jeff Goldblum did, as well as um, ah, the character who is uh, she's a... Um, uh, oh my gosh, um, what is she? She's oh, a uh, Valkyrie. Yeah, she's a Valkyrie. I felt like yeah, her. Tessa con- Thompson. Tessa yeah, Thompson. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Her contribution is a as basically a fallen Valkyrie and Korg and Jeff Goldblum. I thought really carries Ragnarok as a as a as a comedic character development. Like Thor is becoming whimsically arrogant and funny, and I think Hulk helped. But it could have been just fine without Hulk. Truly, I think it could have been fine without him. Loki was there too. Good interactions with Loki. Um, it, it could have been just as good, I think. But Dark World, I don't know if it wouldn't have been... It, I don't think it would have been helped. Because Loki was there for a lot of it. And I thought that's when things actually yeah. got pretty good. I thought their back and forth on the ship was funny. Um, I don't know if it would have saved it. I think the pacing's off. I think the fights and the bad guy are kind of like, eh, who cares? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not the, it's not just the great, it's not that it's not the greatest movie. It also just doesn't do really anything with Thor or the storyline. It's very cliche. Bad guy shows up, cliche, bad guy loses. And then Loki busts out, I guess. And then everything's Loki's dead. Like that. There's not much happens other than that. The only other thing I, I have I, to I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's okay. I just wanted to briefly say, I have to agree uh, uh, respectfully, of course, but uh, I do love the idea of bringing in more faces and more characters, more IPs into movies, because I think it intertwines a bigger universe. And I think overall, that's the great approach. Um, I think this movie in specific, just like Lona just said, you know, narratively where it was going, it seemed kind of personal 
with uh, Malekith and who they are, what they were after, and what kind of vendetta they had with Odin and Asgard in particular. So I don't know if bringing anyone else into Thor's universe outside of Thor's universe would have solved that. And, okay. and just this as an example, sometimes bringing in a lot of IPs, regardless of what universe they're in, isn't always the best idea because we saw what Spider-Man 3 did. So I mean, yeah, and I love Venom. Venom's my favorite within his, you know, rogue gallery. It's just, you know, sometimes adding in isn't always the best answer, but I, I love the approach. The only other thing I had was that wasn't this, um, wasn't this scene with the collector at the end of this movie, the part where they did like a cameo of Howard the Duck? Um, I think people were saying that's Howard the Duck. I'm like, wait a minute, that's Howard the Duck from that old Leah Thompson movie? Like, he's a Mar- I, for- I totally forget, did not even know Howard was actually, um, a Marvel, a, a comic book character, let alone a Marvel comic book character. But everyone's like, no, that was Howard the Duck in one of those tanks, I think. Is that correct? I've heard that, yes. I've heard that that is a, uh, that's an actual, like, Easter egg or something that they, they put in there. I don't remember seeing it, personally. I don't remember seeing it in this, in this watching. It's, it's later, isn't it? It's another movie, I thought. I didn't even think it was in this post credit scene. Guardians. Was it another movie? Guardians, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, it's Gar. It's when Gar. The, when, it, when, when the dog, because the dog, the Russian dog Sputnik, I believe his name is, he's also another part of that Easter egg collection of the collector, okay. along with Howard. And the dog was licking his face at the end of Guardians, and then the duck, Howard the duck, goes, "Why do you let it lick your face like that?" Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Wrong movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah wrong. No, but wrong still, movie. but still, great scene. Great scene. No, yeah, yeah, and obviously, uh, what's his name? The actor Benicio del Toro. That's the guy who plays the collector, right? Um, yes, yes. I I love him. I think he was such a good he pick. Really good. Um, and good for him because he's his his role in the one Star Wars movie is totally stupid, but he plays it great. Oh. And in and in <laughs> and in this movie, he's actually. I mean, the collector is actually a significant role. Um, you know, I, I, every once in a while I'll say to my wife, I'll be like, magnificent because of that one scene, you know, uh, <laughs> I like yeah, I him. Them, I, I love him ever since Usual Suspects. Yes. Yeah. He's great in that. He's really, really oh, good. And he was a Bond villain too. Do y'all remember him being a Bond villain in, um, uh, License to Kill? Oh, really? I don't remember that. Yeah. He Long was the time, one standing yeah. over Bond when he was about to fall into that grinder uh, like a meat grinder, um, and he's getting like cutting it with a knife, and um, he was like, he was that villain. He was like, I think uh, the main villain's number two guy in that movie. Yeah, he was he's great the- in Sicario too, as well. Those yeah, two films. yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Really, mm-hmm. He was really lethal, and he was able to portray you know a different character than what we usually see, and it was it was fresh. Yeah, yeah. He's done a, he's done a lot of different things. The one there was the one too that he was with. Um, it's uh, oh, it's Hunter or Hunted or it's it's got one of those generic names. Um, he's in it with it's the Hunted. It's called the Hunted. Oh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Yes, yeah, that's, he that's trained a good one him too. and he went wild or something. And mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones has a brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it has another a good cool, one. It has a cool narration to opening. Um, but yeah, in that movie, yeah, I remember that. Movie. I'm, uh, you know, to to close it out, I just am excited to see you know where the casting direction goes with you know this part of the Marvel universe, this yes, the space, the Guardian, the Asgards, and then the Eternals. You know, I know it was pushed back, but we'll see uh, people like Angelina Jolie, 
in that movie as well and you know um what i think they do a really what you didn't know that mm. yeah no. yeah she was she yeah she's full yeah. check uh, check the uh the imdb for the eternals you'll be pleasantly surprised to see the roster of that film and and it'll do yeah. a little it'll probably do a little bit of storytelling into the backstory of thanos and the the difference between uh, the titans and then the eternals Oh, Salma Hayek is also going to be in it. So they're they're not they're not holding back here with uh, they're no. grabbing some big names. I, I heard I heard Marvel's trying to really go hardcore. I think we we already talked about that hardcore into the multiverse side of things with the 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 the, the Doctor Strange too and, the, and the, the the thing of madness, the multiverse of madness, and a lot of theories that uh, the um, Scarlet Witch series is going to figure into that along with Spider Man and other stuff um, it's gonna be great storytelling it's gonna be excellent yeah. storytelling, absolutely and 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 how they incorporate x-men and, and you know the yeah. broader yes. image of spider-man and then hopefully the first family will be a little i hope the first family uh the fantastic four uh will be a little bit more homogenized into the world yeah they're gonna actually have to have some accident but i hope it's not gonna be some unrelated different part of the universe i guess you could probably get away with that with maybe with x-men and everyone else, but I, I feel you gotta go ahead. I was gonna say, but I didn't want to miss it. Didn't they say that the snap and all of the gamma radiation or something gives room for that to take place for the Fantastic Four and mutants? Like they're gonna use that as the catalyst to all that happening? Yeah, it was something. a lot of the big fan theories. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there was something that happened in the ocean that um the 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 um the per the lady from um oh, I can't remember her name from the Black Panther movies. She's like one of T'Challa's guards. Uh, she was I think she was investigating that something happened in the ocean. A lot of people said that the event in the ocean is supposed to give rise to a certain character that's a no or something like that. No more. Yeah. No more. Yeah. No more. I, and and that's something that they've been speaking about as well. And you know, that's. Uh, was actually pushed from Kevin Feige when he was asked if there's going to be room for Namor in the future. And they said with the X-Men uh, purchase, uh, creating a Namor, Namor narrative is is in the foreseeable future. So it, it could be introduced through Namor, the mutants. But um, I, if I had a, if I was a betting man, I would probably say they're going to do it through uh, the WandaVision. We'll get our first view of, of a mutant-filled MCU, possibly. And then maybe incorporate some form of house of them like jv was talking about so we'll, we'll see hmm. future's bright yeah yeah well appreciate you guys both calling in thank if you, you guys are if you guys are listening yeah, to this you. yeah thank you if you guys are listening to this elsewhere and you're like hey that'd be pretty cool you can pick the vip tier on repeat theater you can do that on the youtube channel repeattheaterlive.com we'll get you there just take live out of the web address if you'd rather go to patreon repeattheater.com will take you to the patreon also, again, the whole hub for all the content, sntrnetwork.com has everything. SNTR presents, repeat theater, Rageous Roundtable, everything's there. The schedule is there. So if you want to join watch parties or make sure you know what's coming up next, you can definitely check that there. And there is the schedule. So tomorrow is Mando, followed by Lucky Number Slevin, and then Breaking Bad Season 2, Episodes 5 and 6. So we got a lot still this week. Again, repeattheaterlive.com, Monday through Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. As always, if you're listening in any of the locations, please like like, share, and subscribe.